through some uh, conversations uh, at the league office and meetings he was involved with, uh, my dad one day just threw out the term Super Bowl. At the time, people thought it wasn't the right term for the championship game. In fact, the commissioner at the time thought it lacked sophistication. And so the first uh, couple of Super Bowls uh, were not called that. They were called the AFL-NFL World Championship game, something like that, which obviously is not very catchy. The media and the fans caught on to the term Super Bowl, and they started calling the championship game the Super Bowl. So by the third Super Bowl, the NFL relented and, and started naming the game the Super Bowl. Super Bowl in Miami now with six. So by the time we got to 1983, the league made the decision to change the name of the championship trophy to the Lamar Hunt Trophy. There is the squib. It bounds in front of the receiver. And then a bunch of desperation laterals coming up. They're going to throw it across the formation, and it is caught over there now, slipping. And the Chiefs will tackle him. This game is over. Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Uh, a couple of things I need to get out of the way first. Uh, yes, this is the same outfit I wore last night when I preached. Um, <laughs> worship went really well, and you know, you don't want to mess with things. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious, so I'm wearing the same outfit today, hoping that uh, things will go well this morning at worship. I am a longtime fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. It was 1980. My older brother turned 10, and Uncle Bob took Sean, my older brother, Adam, my little brother, my dad and me to Kansas City, our first game at Arrowhead, and we've been Chiefs fans ever since. There were some not-so-great years along the way, but the last five years have been pretty fun. I know a lot of people are sick and tired of the Chiefs, but as a Chiefs fan, I'm soaking it up, dog. I don't know why they <laughs> call each other dogs. But anyway, uh, as Coach Reed said at the end of that video, the work's not done. The work's not done, and that's where I want to start off. As a faithful fan of the Chiefs, I've been working really hard the last two weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, after worship, I went to my office to get all my stuff before I went back home, and there was just this incredibly beautiful piece of artwork that someone had left in the office area. There was a note on it, uh, anonymous note. It said, Pastor Scott, we thought you might appreciate this. It's an autographed Patrick Mahomes jersey. And I just, whoever gave it to me, Kevin, if it was you, thank you, yeah. Um, I just want to say I really do appreciate it. It is now hanging in the Louvre. Uh, no, it's not in the Louvre. But it, 
it is in the basement where we watch the games in our house, and so uh, that's just fantastic. So the room where we're watching the game is ready to go. The work's all done there. We have our kitchen stocked with Nature's Perfect Food, Velveeta and Rotel, so we're ready to go uh, with food for the game as well, but still the work's not done. I don't remember how many years ago it was as we got uh, closer to Super Bowl weekend, somebody at Hope said, you know, we should probably just turn this into a, a massive food drive every year around the Super Bowl. And so that's the real work that we want to be about this weekend, uh, the Super Bowl food drive. And our, our uh, message series in the month of February, it's On the Move with Mark. Today we're in Mark chapter 6. You saw the new uh, uniform that you have to wear when you're the Bible reader. Tony was wearing that. It's a chief's vest and a chief's shirt. Anyway, um, the, the Bible reading is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. A huge crowd of people have gathered to hear Jesus teach. He's an incredible teacher. And still, the disciples at one point say to him, you need to wrap it up, Jesus. Send everybody home. It's going to get dark soon, and you need to let them go so they can get something to eat. And I want us to read together how Jesus responds to them. Verse 37, it's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. You feed them. One more time. You feed them. And so the disciples go through the crowd and they get a little bit of fish, and they get a little bit of bread, and they give it to Jesus, and Jesus is able to take that little amount and feed the entire crowd. That's the work we want to be about. Now, we're not asking you as an individual to make sure. It's like not your individual responsibility to make sure nobody goes to bed hungry in central Iowa tonight. But what we do believe is we're better together. Turn to somebody close to you and just remind them of that. Tell them we're better together. We're better together. And so we believe as a church, as one church in multiple locations, as a church that has a mission to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, we believe as the gathered body of Christ, God can take what little we might bring and God can work miracles. So that's the work we want to do. I know some of you have already brought food in. Uh, if you haven't, we just encourage you to go to your favorite grocery store that's uh, open on Sundays and bring some food back. Early afternoon, we'll have volunteers here to sort it, and tomorrow the food's going to go out uh, to the food pantries in our area. Uh, feeding hungry people is a big part of the work Jesus calls the church to do. Before I send you out to do that work, let's talk a little bit about why. What's our motivation behind this? And, and more than just our motivation, like what's our posture? What, what's the posture of our heart as we do this kind of stuff? So open your Bible to Mark chapter 6. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 begins in verse 30. It's always important to put it in the larger context. Like what is actually going on in Jesus' life as we approach this miracle story? And so you see earlier in verse 6, um, my Bible has the headline, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. Remember, Jesus has a team. He could do it all by himself. Patrick Mahomes cannot do it all by himself. He's going to need the help of his team. Jesus could have done it all by himself, but he intentionally chooses to build this team to train them, to equip them to do the work of ministry. And so after they have been uh, listening to Jesus, following Jesus for a while, he gives his disciples the opportunity to practice what he's been preaching to them. And they go out to announce and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God. While the disciples are out on this ministry tour, the word comes to Jesus, the news comes to Jesus that John the Baptist has been killed. And, and remember, Jesus and John the Baptist are close. Uh, when 
Jesus' mother Mary was pregnant with him. She spent a great deal of time during the pregnancy at the home of Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mother. The Bible doesn't tell us how much time Jesus and John the Baptist spend together as they are growing up or, you know, through adolescence or through their 20s, but the Bible does say when Jesus is 30 years old, he intentionally chooses to go to the Jordan River and to be baptized by John as he begins his public ministry. And so they're close, they're, they're like friends, they're colleagues, they are uh, relatives, they're, they're family. And here comes the news that John the Baptist has died. The disciples come back from their ministry tour, and now the story of the feeding of the 5,000 begins in verse 30. Let's read verse 31 together. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. As you keep reading through Mark's account of this story, he says part of the reason Jesus wants to get away to a quiet place and rest is because he and his disciples are so busy doing the work of ministry, they don't even have time to eat. The needs are so great, they're helping so many people, they don't even have time to stop and eat. The same series of events is recorded in Matthew's Gospel. So Matthew tells us about the ministry tour of the 12 disciples. Matthew tells us about the death of John the Baptist. And then the next thing that happens in, in Matthew's account is the um, feeding of the 5,000. And in Matthew's account, he makes it very clear that part of the reason Jesus wants to get away to a quiet place and rest is so that he can grieve the death of John the Baptist. He's so sad. He's so filled with sorrow at the violent death of someone close to him he needs some time away. Are you noticing how relatable Jesus is as we read through the Gospels? Month of January, we're reading through uh, Matthew. February, now we're in uh, March. Lent, it's going to be Luke. I hope that as you're reading through the Gospels this winter with us, I hope one of the things you're noticing is how relatable Jesus is. I mean, think about what's going on in his life here in Mark chapter 6. Jesus has some really hard, uh, really difficult, really important things happening in his personal life. Someone close to him has died. And at the same time, Jesus has some really hard, really difficult, really important things happening in his professional or vocational life. So busy, so many people need Jesus' help, he doesn't even have time to stop and to eat. Have you ever been in a season like that? You feel absolutely overwhelmed at work, and you feel absolutely overwhelmed at home? Yeah, students in the room, you ever feel so absolutely overwhelmed by your relationships with your friends, with people you might be dating, with your parents, and absolutely overwhelmed at school? This is where Jesus is in Mark chapter 6, and sometimes when we're in this kind of a place, when we're going through this kind of a season, we don't know what to do. We just know something's got to give. Something needs to change. Pay attention to what Jesus does when he goes through these kinds of seasons. Jesus says, I need to get off by myself to a quiet place. I need to still my soul. I need to calm my spirit. I need to rest, Jesus says. And embedded in the idea of rest for Jesus is the idea of connection. I need to rest, I need to get away to a quiet place so I can reconnect with my Heavenly Father. So I can reconnect with the people closest to me. 
We'll put up on a screen a connection continuum. We'll say zero represents disconnection from God and others. Uh, Ten represents healthy connection with God and others. Where would you place yourself on the connection continuum today? Last week, Pastor Ashley was walking us through a story Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Jesus tells a story of a farmer who's scattering a bunch of seed, and some of the seed falls on soil that is not conducive to growth. So the seed doesn't grow, it doesn't produce a crop, it doesn't, there's no harvest. And that kind of soil, Jesus says, some of it is rocky soil, some of it is too hard for the uh, seed to grow, some of it is filled with thorns. Another way of thinking about what Jesus is describing there is this idea of connection and disconnection. And part of what Jesus says, what prevents the seed from growing and what causes disconnection in our life, it's the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things. It's an honest evaluation of your heart and your soul this morning. Anything going on in your personal life, anything going on in your professional life, anything going on at school that's filling you with worry, anything that's happened in the last week or month or six months or a year that has caused you to shift your focus and shift your priorities, and now you're more focused on other things than you are on your connection with God or your connection with the people closest to you. Where would you put yourself on this connection continuum? Would you give yourself a three, a five, maybe an eight? Wherever you put yourself, the follow-up question is, what does it look like to prepare the soil of your soul so that you can grow, so that you can reconnect, so you can move from a three to a four, or a five to a six, or an eight to a nine? And Jesus talks about this idea if... Uh, disconnection is one of the things that we experience in life and the soil is not conducive for growth, but connection is the kind of place where growth happens and where a harvest is produced. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me, Jesus says. Abide in me. Stay connected to me if you want to grow, if you want to produce fruit. And in that same section of scripture, Jesus goes on to say, apart from me, if you're disconnected from me, you will not be able to produce fruit. You won't be able to grow. Jesus is the most self-aware human being who has ever lived. And so when Jesus is going through all of this stuff in Mark chapter 6, overwhelmed with his personal life, overwhelmed with his vocational life, Jesus is self-aware enough to say, I cannot keep going this way forever. I need to stop. I need to get to a quiet place. I need to rest. And so Jesus makes an intentional decision to reconnect. What does it look like for us? What does it look like for you and me to make intentional decisions in our life to focus on reconnection with God and with others? Well, you're here at worship. It's a great first step. I mean, that's a big part of what worship is about. Worship helps us stay connected to God. Worship helps us stay connected to the people closest to us. Hopefully when you come to worship, sometimes the people who are preaching will give you tools to help you stay connected to God, help you stay connected to the people closest to you. Being a part 
of a worshiping community on a regular basis on the weekends. Really vital if you don't want to become disconnected. And scripture, another way. One of the reasons we're focusing on Scripture uh, this year is we know as we engage regularly with God's Word, it's going to help us stay more connected to God and to one another. Next week, it's going to be the middle of February already. And this is the time of the year where it's really easy to give up and really say, I tried that Bible reading thing. If you're tempted to give up, I just want to encourage you again, start tomorrow. Jump in again. Make a decision to get intentional about reconnecting with God, reconnecting with others by engaging with the Word of God. How about prayer? Often when Jesus goes away to a quiet place to rest, prayer is a big part of what he is doing to connect with his Heavenly Father. Did you know we have a prayer tower here at your church? The tallest part of our building, we call it the prayer tower, and we intentionally designed this building to have a place that would be accessible 24-7 even if the rest of the building is locked up, because we understand life doesn't happen just between nine and five. There are a lot of times that things happen in our life that we realize I need to get to my church and to connect with my Heavenly Father in prayer, and it's 11 o'clock at night. Well, we've got the prayer tower. There's a door on the outside. Even if the rest of the building is locked, you can get into the prayer tower. Of course, you can pray anywhere. You don't have to pray in the prayer tower. You don't have to pray uh, in your church. You can pray anywhere. But we just want you to know that is a spot if you're ever wanting something like that. How about being in a group? We're reading through the Bible, challenging us to do that. Who, who are you talking to about what you're reading? Uh, you have at least a person or do you have a handful of people that you're, hey, I read this. What do you think? Here's what God seems to be speaking to me through uh, what we're reading today. All sorts of ways that you can make a decision to get intentional about reconnecting with God and reconnecting with the people closest to you. And that's what we see Jesus doing in Mark chapter 6. I'll keep reading starting in verse 32. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shores and got there ahead of them. Uh, my first job was snow cream drive-in in Eldora, Iowa. Um, I was flipping burgers and frying cheese balls and dishing out ice cream cones. There were some nice perks to that job, but it was to, it's just a job. I didn't like it. And as soon as my shift ended, I wanted to get out of there as quickly as I could. The worst shift, in my opinion, was when I was scheduled to close. Summers from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock, you're working in this greasy place. No, but who wants that? But sometimes I'd get scheduled for that. And so I wanted to get out of there as soon as it hit 10 o'clock at 9.30, I'd start cleaning everything up so that I'd be ready to go once we got to 10 o'clock. Of course, inevitably, someone would show up 10 minutes before closing. I want a pizza burger basket and a cyclone. That's what we called our blizzards at Snow Cream Driving. And everything would get messy again. And then you'd put up the sign, we're closed at 10 o'clock, but then you'd have to stay and clean everything up. That's what's happening to Jesus here. He has put up the closed sign. Jesus is no longer open for business. He wants to get away from his customers. He wants to get to a quiet place and rest, but the crowd follows him. The The crowd sees where he's going. And when he gets to where he wants to find quiet and rest, he's surrounded by a bunch of people who want a pizza burger basket. And I want to walk carefully through this part of the story. Because 
we find ourselves living in a time and place where sometimes people call uh, the, the world that we are living in, we are part of the cult of busyness. We're part of the cult of busyness. Uh, what is a cult? It's a bunch of people who believe something that isn't true. So, so what is it that we've bought into that is not true living in the cult of busyness? We've become convinced that the more packed, overscheduled we are, that's a sign that we've arrived. That's a sign of the good life. That proves that we are successful. So adults are overscheduled and parents are overscheduling their children because somehow we have convinced ourselves that's the indicator that we're living a really good life. Jesus is the most self-aware person who ever lived. We are not self-aware. We don't see, we're not aware of how being overscheduled and way too busy is leading to disconnection. Disconnection from God, disconnection from the people closest to us. And so our temptation, because we're part of this cult of busyness, our temptation is when we read through this story and we see what Jesus does here, oh, Jesus says, I'm going to take a day off finally, but then there's still all this work to do, and we think, well, that's, that's biblical support for how I'm living my life. I can just keep going and going and going, and I can just keep doing and doing and doing, and it's not workaholism. Jesus does it, so I can... So just to be clear, by the time you get to verse 45 and 46, Jesus actually does get to the quiet place of rest. Because Jesus is aware enough to understand he has limitations. And it would be really wise for you and for me to think about what are the limitations that God has placed on my life. And, and what would it look like for me to honor those and to recognize when it is that I need to stop and rest and maybe take something off of my calendar rather than continuing to add things to my calendar. So part of what I want to talk about next is, well, Jesus is on his way to rest, he's on his way to quiet, but he stops to keep doing all this work. Why does he do it? What, what's, Jesus, what's the heart behind why Jesus decides helping these people is more important than getting to this place of rest and quiet. You're going to be shocked at the answer. It's love. But it's a specific and spectacular kind of love. Shows up in verse 34. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Uh, the Greek word that gets translated compassion is splonknitsomai, which is one of the best Greek words you'll ever want to hear. Uh, the first part of it is splonk. Everybody say splonk. There's no N in there, but you still pronounce it. It's kind of like Tuatonga Vailoa. It doesn't have an N in his name. You still pronounce it splonk. One more time. All right, and then we'll do the whole thing. Splonknitsomai. Ready? Splonknitsomai. Splonknitsomai means to be moved in your splonknon. And your splonknon is the Greek word for your bowels, uh, your inner organs, your, your uh, intestines and liver and stomach. To be moved in your deep within, in your inner being, is splonknitsomai. Jesus feels compassion. He experiences splonknitsomai. But part of what I want you to notice is before Jesus feels something, Jesus sees 
something. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. If our mission is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, in order for us to do that in a Christ-honoring manner, we have to have compassion on the world around us. A lot of times we have other things for the world around us. Anger, disgust, sometimes hatred. If we want to reach out to the world around us in a way that honors Jesus Christ, we have to have compassion on the world around us. In order to have compassion on them, Jesus tells us the first thing we need to do is see people, not overlook people, not look past people, but really see people. I experienced some swanknitzamai this week watching the reports and the coverage of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Devastating images. Cities ruined, homes ruined, businesses ruined. And of course, behind all of that, what's most devastating are the the people and the lives that have been impacted by all of that devastation. Uh, The picture on the left, the guy wearing an orange coat, his name is Mesut Hanser, 45-year-old father. This is his family home, the remains of it. He's holding on to the hand of his 15-year-old daughter who died in her sleep when the home collapsed. Juxtaposed next to this is the joy on the face of this little boy Rescue workers working all night long to pull him out of the rubble in Syria. And look at the joy when he is saved. And part of the reason I I want you to see these images is because I hope we're the kind of church that when we see things like this, it moves us deep inside. That, That when we see it, we don't just move on to whatever's next in our busy schedule. But we see it, we are moved with compassion and it makes us want to act. Uh, one of our global mission partners is Lutheran Disaster Response. And it's Super Bowl food drive weekend, but when the earthquakes happened, we just thought we need to give people an opportunity to respond to this, to act. And so, as Eli said, prayer is going to be a real important part of the way we're going to act. The other thing is we can uh, give financial support to organizations that are on the ground helping with this humanitarian crisis. So right outside of the worship center, there's a little box that has this image on it. You can put an offering in there. Down by the Cafe Hope, there's another box. Um, Be praying for, be seeing, be filled with compassion, be asking God what does action look like for us to care for, to love a part of the world that most of us will never see, a part of the world that seems to get trouble after trouble after trouble. There's stuff that's happening globally, and I also want you to know uh, there's stuff that's happening locally. Uh, a, A portion of every dollar that you give to this church goes to our mission partners. And so I want to thank you for being a church that has the heart of Jesus, that sees, that has compassion, and that acts to support these uh, mission partners. Locally, uh, one of the things we do, it happened this week, and you should know about it, we have uh, the cupboard every Tuesday. It's an emergency food pantry through a partnership with the Food Bank of Iowa. We can uh, give enough food to get a person or a family through the end of the week or to their next paycheck or something like that. Uh, Every Tuesday, between 80 and 100 families are being served uh, at the cupboard. It's run by a bunch of volunteers 
But Tim McGrath is a part-time staff person here who schedules the volunteers and that sort of thing. Eli uh, oversees missions ministry here at Hope. And so Tim and Eli work closely together. They tell me that the food bank is telling them they're having a hard time, the food bank, having a hard time keeping the inventory that they need of food to send out to their partner agencies like the cupboard. So this is a really good and important time for a food drive. Uh, the other thing that we're learning is uh, that 80 to 100 families, that's about double where we were during the pandemic. So the need is growing. And, and part of the reason it's growing, if you're paying attention to the economy and to uh, things like inflation and how does that impact under-resourced people, they have this finite amount of money and they are making decisions on what they're going to use their money for. And they're like, I'm going to use it on my rent because I need a place to live. I'm going to use it on my utilities because I need heat in the winter. I'm going to use it on gas for my vehicle so I can drive to my job. But then they run out before they are able to get food for their family. And so that's why we're seeing an increase of numbers of people coming uh, to food banks like the cupboard. On Tuesday this week, a woman came to the cupboard for the first time. Uh, the volunteers found out she's recently relocated to central Iowa from Atlanta, Georgia. And she said, I've been to a lot of food pantries in my life. This is the first time I really felt welcomed. This was the first time she said, I felt free to shop. I use air quotes when I say shop. Uh, Tim and Eli, several years ago, got a grant and they were able to remodel the cupboard. It looks like a convenience store if you walk into it. And so when people come to the cupboard to get food, we give them a basket or a cart and they can go through and they can pull out whatever is most helpful to them or to their family at that time. And that's why she said, I felt free to shop. If you haven't been down to the cupboard, go on down. It's in the lower level as you're making your way out at kind of this side of the building. Take a look at it, but more than just taking a look at it, pray for the people that we are serving through this compassionate ministry. Sometime last fall, uh, Michelle Oakland contacted me. I know Michelle from uh, Hope Kids and Vacation Bible School where she volunteers. When she's not at Hope, she's running a beauty salon in Ankeny. And so she called me sometime last fall, reached out and said, hey, I cut people's hair for a living. Would there ever be a time where it would be helpful, helpful to offer free haircuts through the church? So we connected her with Eli, and the two of them worked out the logistics and the details. For the last month or so, as people have been coming to the cupboard, we've been giving them a postcard that says, if you want a free haircut, come on Tuesday, February 7th. So that was just this past Tuesday. And Michelle was there. And she told me 17 people came to get their hair cut. And one of the things that surprised us, and in hindsight it should not have surprised us, many people brought their children to get a haircut, which makes sense. If you don't have enough money to feed your family, you probably don't have enough money to get haircuts for your family. We're just trying to follow the example that Jesus sets for us in Mark chapter 6. See people, be moved with compassion, and then act. You feed them, Jesus says to his disciples, and they feed this crowd of 5,000. You give them haircuts. You throw parties so that moms and sons and dads and daughters uh, can come to a mom and son game night and a daddy-daughter dance and can have a night of bonding and building that kind of relationship and connecting together, parent to child. Uh, you open the doors to your church to support groups. You offer a class like Outrageous Justice so suburbanites can have our eyes open to some of the uncomfortable realities of the justice system. 
in this country. And we can work to figure out how do we help, how do we serve, how do we show compassion and love to incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people and their families and give them hope for a new kind of life. You suburban church in the suburbs, you start a, a church in the heart of Des Moines so that when there's a tragedy of a couple of students being killed in a charter school in the heart of Des Moines, the church can already be there and have partnerships with civic leaders so you can be working together to find solutions to some of these problems that continue to plague us. See people, have compassion, and act. So that's part of your assignment for this week. Have your eyes opened. Pay attention. Look. See the people in your family. See the people in your neighborhood. See your classmates. See the people you work with. Pay attention. Where is the hurt? What's causing a, a loss of hope? And what does it look like for you to act? What does it look like for us to act? And remember, we're better together. Let's all say that again. We're better together. If you are new to hope, you may not know this. And if you've been around hope for a while, it's a good time for a reminder. In the fall of 2019, we were celebrating hope's 25th birthday. And part of that celebration we pulled together a team of people, congregation members, staff members, pastors, and we talked and we prayed and we dreamed, what does God want us to do in the next decade of ministry? And out of that came Hope's 10 for 10 vision, uh, 10 big goals for the next 10 years of ministry. Uh, these are the goals. This is who we think God wants us to be and how God wants us to act over the course of this decade of ministry. This was in the fall of 2019. The following fall, 2020, we broke ground for our phase two expansion here at Hope Ankeny. And then the fall of 2021, we came back to the congregation and we said, we have the opportunity to purchase five acres of the Johnson farm. We asked you to prayerfully consider giving so we could do that and we were able to. And one of the questions in the fall of 2021 was, what are we going to do with five more acres? Why do we need five more acres? And so I want to give you the answer today that I gave back then. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure specifically what God wants us to do. But I want to encourage you to pick up the 10 for 10 vision. It's on the website. You don't, have, you don't need a hard copy. I just know some people prefer hard copies. But read through it and prayerfully read through it. Read through it with your eyes open. Read through it with a heart of compassion to see how God is calling you to act as we move in this direction together as a congregation. Because when you read through it, you will see things like retreat centers. You will see things like youth outreach centers. You'll see things like senior living. Uh, you'll see things like a Christian counseling center. You, you'll see this dream of increasing our partnership with our local mission partners like Lutheran Services of Iowa and Prison Fellowship, two ministries that are very interested in transitional housing for refugees or for people who are coming out of prison. Might that be part of what we're going to do with these five acres? I don't know, but we're praying about it, and we want you to be praying about it too. What is God asking us to do? How is God asking us to act with compassion as a part of this community? And as you read through this and think this way and dream with God, you'll quickly realize five acres is not going to be enough for everything God is going to be calling us to do. But it's a good start. See people, have compassion, and act. Follow the example of Jesus from Mark chapter 6, but really, this is the way Jesus lives his entire life. Message series is on the move with Mark. Really, we're called to be on the move with Jesus. 
A lot of people are familiar with John 3.16. I want to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to you. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Just think about that for a second. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Part of what that means is Jesus sees you. Jesus sees what is hurting in your life. He sees what feels broken in your life. He sees those places where you feel hopeless. Jesus sees you, and Jesus is moved with compassion for you. So moved that Jesus acts. He leaves heaven, and he comes to this earth, and he lives a perfect life as a human being to show us the very best way to be human. And then Jesus moves to the cross to die for us so that we might know eternal life. I hope that you know this real love that God has for you through God's Son, Jesus Christ. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, John writes, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? I don't read this to you to shame you. I don't think John wrote it to shame those of us who are pretty rich in the standards of this world. We have a lot. We, we've been blessed. I just read this to open our eyes that we might be moved with more compassion, more action as we follow after Jesus. Let's read verse 18 together. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Now, before I send you out to act Super Bowl food drive, I want to show you one more video. These are your AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> doing what I'm asking you to do. Uh, they're, they're doing a food drive, and you're going to hear one of the front office executives say, if you're on this team, what we tell our players, if you're on this team, you're going to be in the community. If you're on this team, you're going to be in the community. Same is true for the church, isn't it? Take a look. On the field, these are the guys you don't want to run into. I move people for fun. But when they're not sacking quarterbacks, <laughs> defensive lineman Colin Saunders and Derek Noddy help the Kansas City Chiefs tackle a much tougher opponent, hunger. For young players that are joining the Chiefs, they're probably just thinking, oh God, I got to get on the field and I got to play. Right. How does this then become part of what they do? The message is given to them early on that this is part of being part of this organization. If you're going to be on this team, you're going to be in the community. Across the U.S., as many as one in six children will face hunger this year. For over 30 million kids, school lunches are the only reliable meal in their day. That leaves a dangerous gap over the weekends. This one gets a little tricky. The Chiefs work with Harvesters, a local food bank, to put together backpacks of food for kids and their families as part of the Back Snacks program. The team also sponsors food drives, helping to generate nearly 1.7 million meals for the city. Lots of teams and individual players give back to their communities across the country. What's interesting about the Chiefs is they are laser-focused as a team on the problem of hunger in Kansas mm. City, and they say that that is a way that they feel they can make a real practical difference. There's so many great things that 
players and teams and organizations do for their community, but there's yep. something particular about the idea of children not mm -hmm. having enough food yeah. Yeah. that just seems yeah. like... In the United States of America. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.